deeds for the saints according to the will of God. So I think if we're going to be talking about praying, it'd be good for me to pray. So let me pray for a minute. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be here today. Um, and God, for many of us, that's just the battle that's won right there, just to get up in the morning, to be in a place where we're talking about God. What an amazing sign of your grace and your kindness and your mercy upon us that you know the strength of our sin, yet you've conquered that through the cross, and you invite us to be part of your family, your journey. So as we're here, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to cling to you. So we love you, Lord. Guide us in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you were here last week, we looked at this glorious hope we have in Jesus, that even in the midst of the biggest weaknesses, biggest struggles, that When we're suffering, we still have this hope that we can point to that guides us. And today, we're going to discover how this great hope even guides us in the weakness of our prayer. And in one sense, I mean, prayer is like the most natural thing you do as a Christian, I think. You don't even have to be that religious to believe in something like prayer. I mean, I'll, I'll walk around the neighborhood, and folks who don't go to church at all, they'll know, and they'll say, hey, man, can you pray for me? I'm like, do you even believe in God? They're like, I'm not sure, but can you pray for me? I mean, people believe in this idea of prayer. But as important as it might be, um, it doesn't mean that prayer is easy. And I don't know what your experience is as a Christian or in church, but some of you might think that prayer comes really easy to some folk. I mean, some of these folk that you'll see here look really holy. I mean, they look like they got their act down, and they know how to pray, and their faces get all serious. And just sometimes, you know, you think of God, and you laugh, and you, ha, ha. And, you know, it's like you, some people, you think, wow, they really know how to pray. Um, but aside from just the natural struggle of making time in the day, I, I think even if we carve that time out, prayer is extremely difficult. I mean, I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not. I don't know if I'm supposed to be trying to encourage you. You can do it. You can, I, I think prayer is really hard because, at least for me, when I'm in praying, my heart grows cold. My thoughts start to wander. Um, I mean, I hear a lot of silence. A lot of my prayer times are just filled with me sitting there like, wow, that clock really moves slowly when you're praying, doesn't it? Um, I mean, and we even see in the scriptures, right? I think it's Matthew 26, that Jesus in his last hours, he's got, he's got his disciples for like basically a sleepover, right? But up on a mountain and they're going to be praying, on this place, in this, a place called Gethsemane. And they're praying, and he tells them, hey guys, pray with me. Don't fall asleep. Pray. And, and he goes and prays, and he is just working it, you know, working it hard. And it says, like, his sweat's flowing like blood, and he gets up and go check on his disciples, and they're all just knocked out. And I get flashbacks of, like, youth retreats, right? Because that's how it was, right? Like, just, you're trying to pray, but all sleep just, it never comes easy until your time to pray. And even the disciples, even these folks who were the closest to Jesus had a difficult time praying. One noted Christian pastor, I, I, I love this, he's, he's uh, known to have said, if, they, if you want to humble a Christian, just ask him or her how their prayer life is going. And that will humble anyone who's feeling arrogant or feeling, yeah, I got this down. Hey, how's your prayer life? Oh, yeah, I could use some work. Or, or, I mean, a lot of times the challenge is, it's the basic question, you know, how should I pray? Or maybe, you know, what should I be praying for? Or, or maybe it's even, am I even praying correctly so that God will hear me? Because I don't want to waste all this time, like, blah, 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 and, and God's not even hearing me because of the way I'm praying. And, guys, if you experience that all, at those moments of weakness, Paul's words to us here in Romans 8, 26 and 27, this should be a great help in your time of weakness. 
Because what it's saying that even in our prayer, even in the things we feel weak and helpless with, we're not left to ourselves. But the very Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. And that's probably a good base point even to start when we talk about the very nature of prayer. Because when we pray, it's an acknowledgement that we're weak. When we pray, we're basically saying, I don't have my stuff together. I don't got my act together. Because it's really difficult to be strong and to be a person of prayer. I don't even know what that looks like. It's like, yeah, God, you know, I'm, I'm doing great. You know, great job with that rainbow last week. You know, spot on. That's awesome. But, you know, I got it all under control. Just want to check in just so you know I'm still here. So I'll see you in another month or so. I mean, you can't be strong and pray. What are you going to pray about? It, it, it doesn't work that way. And maybe as we diagnose ourselves and check our hearts and, and let God speak, maybe we can look at our lack of prayer, and I know I do this, sometimes a lack of prayer shows that we're a little too confident in ourselves. Sometimes our lack of prayer, it's not even a spiritual, like really, it's a basic, we think we got our stuff together. We don't need help, really. We really don't feel like we, we've got it under control. Because when you pray, you are obviously asking God to meet needs that you feel you can't take care of on your own. But the weakness is not even just the inability to have stuff happen. It's even that basic, we, we don't even know what we're supposed to be asking for. And that's what verse 26 right, talks about here. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. That there's just a certain weakness. I don't even know how I'm supposed to articulate this. I, I, I'm confused. Because there are times when we can't even put to request verbally, like the echoes of our heart, it just comes out almost like babbles or moanings, and like, oh, and we don't even know what to say. And I find encouragement that the author of this, this brilliant man, Paul, and if you're not familiar with him, he wrote like most of the New Testament, really smart. This dude, I mean, this cat can write sentences like, without ending, and it's still grammatically correct. I don't know how he does that. I mean, he's a really smart man. It's encouraging to me that this person who can write some of the most eloquent passages of Scripture, he seems to also know this experience of not being able to fully put down in prayer words what his heart is experiencing, the real pains that he's going through, the real agonies that he's going, that even he seems to have a difficult time bringing that into prayer. And because sometimes... We experience this helplessness when in prayer we find that our will and basically what we feel we want to do is different than what God's will or what he might be wanting us to do. Sometimes the helplessness comes when in our prayer we find that it's not really aligned like that. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm a nerd, right, Bible nerd. I, this is like my like uh, superhero book right here, and I look at the people in here, I'm like, oh, yeah, they had their act together. They're like fighting lions and, you know, like not getting eaten by lions and, you know, like real warrior type of people. And we tend to over-spiritualize them. Like the cats in this book, they don't struggle with prayer. They don't struggle with the things I struggle with. And we tend to think like Paul, if he was praying to God, like it was all came on this eloquent theological book. And it's like this amazing stuff. But, but the thing is, we see even 2 Corinthians 12, 8, and you don't have to turn there, but we read when Paul writes this, he prayed to God three times for the removal of this thorn from his flesh. And we don't know exactly what that meant. It could have literally been, maybe he had a thorn in his side, probably not, but he had this, he had this suffering. He had this thing that's like with him all the time. 
And he prayed to God three times, God, would you please take this away from me? But God didn't do it. So I think sometimes it's very normal that as you pray, you find that the things you're earnestly praying for are not necessarily aligned with maybe what God's plan for your life is, what he wants to do in your life. And I'm going to go here, and you need to hear me carefully so you're not thinking we got some whack theology, but we see that even Jesus himself experienced this. I mean, and, and we talk about the fact that Jesus, he's fully God, and yet at the same time, he's fully man. And I, I can't, in no way in 30 minutes, right, they just explain all the nuances of what that is, but we believe that he's fully God, fully man. But even with that, we read things like, again, in the garden when he was praying with the disciples, um, and this is from Matthew 26, 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Did you guys catch it? That in his humanity, Jesus, he recoiled at what was being asked of the servant. That in Gethsemane, Jesus struggled in praying God's will. I don't know if you've ever thought about that because you're thinking, oh, Jesus, he never struggled with any. No, he's, he's described as a high priest who's not unfamiliar with suffering. He struggled when he prayed to God that we know he wanted to do God's will. We know that he was perfectly obedient, yet at the same time he was asking God, but is there another way? Couldn't there be another way? I mean, we read early in John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What this seems to be saying is that Jesus understands the natural preferences that he has might not necessarily always coincide with the Father's wishes. He seems to get this when he talks about Father's will and his will. And we need to be clear here. Even though Jesus struggled, he himself remained sinless throughout his life. And we, we want to get that part clear here. So even though he might have struggled in prayer, his struggle is like a perfect sinless struggle, whereas you and my struggle in prayer is just that we're rebellious, disobedient people. There's, and Jesus, he knows nothing about that part. He's not rebellious nor disobedient. But think about it. Even Jesus knew the struggle of prayer. So if you're having a difficult time praying, if you feel like your will as you come encounter God it seems to be different than what God is saying to you. Find comfort in the fact that Christ himself seemed to experience that to the point of agony. How much encouragement that in the real weakness we have in our prayer, we are not left to ourselves to try to figure it out, but we have been given this great helper, the Holy Spirit. In verse 26, um, Paul, he uses for this word help, he joins two prepositions to the main verb there. So literally what he's saying here in the language is with for help, or I guess with for help. I'm thinking Hebrew, but another way. With for help. So the Spirit helps us by praying with us, but also for us. So it's this dual kind of action when the Spirit helps us to pray. It's with us and for us. So, you know, I got two little kids, and they are great. They're talented. They're smart. I mean, they can actually play piano better than I can right now at their age than I can. Um, but they're not strong. 
They're little. They're very useless when it comes to lifting things and carrying things. I'm waiting for them to get a little bigger so they can help me when I'm hauling loads and stuff. But I, if I do bring stuff in, they're, they're good. They're, they want to help, right? So they, they will run over to me, and they'll like, tr- sometimes they'll like put their arms, and they'll like pretend to be carrying, and they'll like lift up, and they're not faking it. They're like legitimately, like you can tell they're about to pop a vessel or something. They're like, and, and they're trying to lift it. And then, of course, I'm lifting it up. And they'll walk with me, and, they, and they're straining and struggling, and both of them and telling, like, oh, one, two, three, and, you know, they're, they're doing the whole thing. Um, in a sense, yes, they are carrying it. They are. But not really. It's me. It's me helping them. If I'm not doing it, they're not going anywhere. And in the same way as with our prayer, we groan. We groan. It's difficult. And in that, we pray, however feeble our attempt to prayer feels at the time but the Holy Spirit prays for us, intercedes for us in ways that our words cannot express. And, you know, when we talk about groaning here, there are some different interpretations of what this groaning means. Um, some, some scholars say it's a, like a different kind of prayer language, and I don't think that's totally necessarily off, but I think actually the simplest explanation of this groaning is it's just basic incoherence. It's like literally groaning, like, like as I do that, you're going to have no clue what I'm saying. I mean, I could do that for half an hour, and you're going to like, what's he saying? Is he talking in some kind of different, I mean, it's incoherence. And it, what it is, it's a picture of the absolute, total weakness of someone who's so weak that she doesn't even make sense. That when all we can do is groan, the spirit takes over. And kids are funny. Um, because, you know, I'll talk to little kids, and they're like, and, you know, whining and groaning and moaning. And I'm like, can you just tell me what's wrong? I'm like, I, I don't have the gift of interpretation of your tongue right now. Can you tell me what's going on? And it's amazing how a mom can say, oh, yeah, he's hungry. Like, what? Oh, yeah, she's tired right now. Oh, yeah, she got a boo-boo. Did you see her knee? That's what that moan was. They're like, what? All I heard was, and you're hearing like, oh, I'm very tired, mother, right now. Could you give me something to eat at snack time? You know, it, there, there's something about, uh, about moms who are able to understand a child's groaning. Like, they, they seem to be able to understand what the kid is saying and let the rest of us in on it. And in some ways, you know, it, what, what will come out, it seems unintelligible. It seems to make no sense at all. But the spirit we'll take the groans of our prayers that maybe make sense to no one else at all and make it coherent and understandable. And just like that mom helps us to understand what the kid is saying, so God also takes what we're groaning and, and uttering and he makes it intelligible. He makes it coherent. And, and there's a real beauty to this. I'm, I love this idea of the Holy Spirit's intercession. I, one, one author describes it as divine eloquence. I mean, I just love that. What we hear is, the, the Spirit makes divine eloquence. Another author puts it as, the Spirit fixes our prayers on the way up. Like what we just throw out there, what we're just moaning and uttering and groaning and in pain, the Spirit takes that and crafts it and makes it into this beautiful message of the heart's cry to God. And it's just comforting when you don't have the words to say, I guess it's not. I guess it's frustrating when you don't have the words to say, but someone finds a way to communicate. I remember um, back when I was in Philly, 
Um, when I was serving in the church in Philadelphia, I had to go prepare. We were having a retreat that weekend, so I went up a little bit early to the retreat center, and this was a Korean retreat center. If you're asking, what's a Korean retreat center? It's a retreat center owned by Korean people. So we went to this Korean retreat center, and I got there earlier than the rest of our church. And, and once I got there, I, I met in the main office, and they said, oh, yeah, you're going to be using that room. And they're saying this all in Korean because they couldn't speak English. They're, you're going to be using that room over there. I'm like, well, well, homie, that's not the room we paid for because I want that nice big room over there that we put the deposit on. And, and, you know, we're going back and forth for about an hour, and I'm speaking like broken Korean Konglish, which is a combination of Korean and English, and just going back and forth and trying to communicate. No, we put a deposit on a long time ago in this room over here. Not that room, because that room, I've been here many times. That room gets really cold at night. It's nasty. This is a nice room. Don't do this to me. And, you know, I'm trying to communicate to them. This, this, is, not, this is not justice. This is wrong. To, and, you know, we're going back and forth, and they just couldn't understand what I'm saying, because I'm sure to them it's just coming out. That, I mean, that's how it probably sounding. Did you hear something? Okay. I, I must imagine things. Um, but what happened later on that night, someone from a church came. And this person spoke Korean really well. And she came in and she was able to get next to me and take my unintelligible and say, what we said is that we have paid for this room and this is what we're in. This is why this guy's so frustrated looking right now because of all that. And they were able to make some arrangements. They still didn't give us the room, but we, we were able to do something else. But I, there was this a power uh, and affirming of me not being able to communicate and just that frustration, not being able to say what I want to say, even though I know what it's in here. And this interpreter taking that and making it real language making it understood. And how encouraging that in our prayer, we know this God whose spirit also represents us in our prayer. It's not about how eloquent you are. It's not about how theologically grounded you are. It's not about how um, flowery your language is. It's about the Holy Spirit that resides in you, that takes your words and makes them divine eloquence. So knowing all this, then the question to ask is, is, is what we have often called prayer really the kind of spirit-led prayer that we see in the scriptures? Because we talk a lot about prayer, right? But is what you and I call and look and do as prayer, is that really the kind of spirit-led prayer that we see here? Because we're not supposed to be praying in our own strength or in our own insight, but rather in dependent faith. Because this kind of dependent faith kind of prayer, what this does, this transforms our hearts. This moves to actually change our hearts. Because part of what we do in prayer is we bring our thoughts, our desires, our, our will to God, and we're letting the Holy Spirit probe us to see if it's our will or God's will. And we joked a little bit about this last week, right? But this whole idea that it's all about God wanting you to be happy. And for many people, that's how they communicate. God just wants you to be happy. It's really just about God wanting you to be happy. And with that kind of understanding of God, basically what prayer is, prayer is like this stick, and you throw it, and you tell God, go fetch God, and you pray, and you pray, and wait for him to go get your prayers, and, and answer, and bring it back to you, what you need. That's what prayer is, if the whole goal is for God to make us happy. We just keep throwing these prayer sticks. God, please answer and bring them back to me, and make me happy. But can I humbly suggest that maybe even more than just wanting us to be happy, God wants to change our hearts. God wants to transform our hearts. And, and what it means is, it's not that, again, like we talked about last week, it's not that he doesn't want you to experience joy. He actually wants you to experience much joy. 
He actually wants you to experience much deeper joy than you might have recognized. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Did you catch that? God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Here's what it is then. As we pray, and as the Spirit intercedes, that very process works to transform our hearts. And that as our hearts change, the very things our hearts desire also change. And when our hearts desire change, the very things we begin to pray for also change. I think we have the quote up here. A famous theologian, John Calvin, he wrote, And the Spirit is said to intercede, not because he really humbles himself to pray or to groan, but because he stirs up in our hearts those desires which we ought to entertain. And he also affects our hearts in such a way that these desires, by their fervency, penetrate into heaven itself. I mean, Calvin's a smart man. Let me break that down. What's that saying? Is what you bring to God and your prayer request, when, you're, when the Holy Spirit's interceding for you, he takes your prayers and he turns it into God-honoring prayers. He changes our hearts. He fixes our hearts. And the things that we start to pray then become these powerful, heaven-shaking, life-impacting, God-honoring type of prayers that penetrate heaven itself. So the natural question that leads us to what we were talking about earlier, are we praying for the right thing? What are we praying for? Because, and this is even just from talking to some of you, I know sometimes we get paralyzed with this idea of this question, are we really praying God's will? I mean, am I just wasting time? Am I honoring God in my prayer? But guys, you got to catch this. What we see here today is incredibly encouraging and freeing. I mean, this is like liberating stuff because Paul's point is that it's not necessary for us to be certain whether we're praying God's will. That he, what he's saying, it's not necessary for you to be so certain, am I praying God's will or not? Because the Spirit knows the will of God. His very presence gives us the assurance that no matter how mixed up you feel, how confused, how lost, how just wacky in the head you might feel, that He will overrule for us when we pray to dependence on Him. That with the Spirit's help, our prayer reaches God in perfect form. Because the reality is, and this is from my experience, but I think even from talking with some of us here, um, some of us really question whether we're a person who God listens to our prayers or not. I mean, some of us, we've lived lives that you wouldn't necessarily want posted up here in a PowerPoint for everyone to see your like, lifeline. Some of us, we have stuff that we're very embarrassed of or shameful of. Some of us, that's last night. <laughs> some of us have deep questions of doubt and you wonder if you even believe in God. And you feel like when they're talking about that mustard seed faith, you're like, that's me! I got like a little tiny bit of mustard. I don't know even if I believe sometimes. Could God listen to a prayer of someone like me? And we look at all the ways that we fall short. And, and some of us really question whether God would hear our prayers. And, and some of us, you're sitting at the side of a sick family member's bed. Or some of you... Your dreams of a happy marriage are being crushed by lies or unfaithfulness or just sin. I mean, some of us, you've been laid off and, and you don't even know how your family's going to eat. I mean, that kind of stuff. And you wonder, does God even give a darn? I'm, I'm trying to be... Does he even care? Does he even hear? Does he listen to someone like me? And the, guys, the promise that we receive here 
is that the Holy Spirit's prayers are always answered. The Holy Spirit's prayers are always heard. That the Spirit whose prayers are answered and heard is the one praying with us and for us. That the Spirit's prayers are perfect because like we see in verse 27 here, He knows the mind of God. So even if you and, my, me, you and me, even if our prayers are not perfect, the Holy Spirit takes our groans of weakness. The Holy Spirit takes our lack of verbiage. The Holy Spirit takes our lack of eloquence. The Holy Spirit takes our lack of faith. And he translates it into glorious prayer to God. And he transforms our hearts through that process as well. Amen? I mean, that's hope right there, guys. That's hope for, especially for those like you and me that are not good in prayer. And it reminds me that a lot of this is about weakness. And just open confession time. One thing I've been, you know, I've been having a season of just God delivering me out of some seasons of major burnout, major like depression, a lot of just dark spots in my own soul over the past year or so. And, and part of that process of healing for me has been for me to recognize some of my tendencies. And this is one tendency I got. I despise weakness. I mean, I loathe weakness. I, I just hate weakness in myself, but here's, I also hate weakness in other people. When I see other people acting weak, there's a part of me that like cringes, and I mean, this is the, this is the state of my soul. I hate weakness, and what God has been reminding me gently and, and slowly through these lessons that Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. Amen? As much as I, I hate, I can't, I mean, I can't, really can't eloquently describe how much I hate weakness, like to the point where I get agitated. But it's this reminder that Christ's economy is like flipped upside down. And that what you and I consider strong is actually weak. And what you and I might call weak is actually strong. And that Christ's glory is made, uh, his power is made known in our weakness. And we know all the theology about it, Right? But it's the reality of the cross. I mean, the cross, this idea that Christ, fully God, fully man, full power, at any moment he could have said, all you idiots, stop this. I am not going on the cross. You don't have the power. I'm calling down angels. Wipe you all out. I mean, he could have done that at any moment. Full power, full kingdom glory. And yet, he made himself weak, purposely, intentionally, looking like a big waste but so that ultimately when he defeated sin and death on a cross, he rose from the grave and conquered in power. But it took weakness for that to happen. And, and that's just a model for our transformation for all of us because let's be brutally honest, you go to most churches, their goal is to try to puff you up to tell you how powerful you are. A lot of churches, I mean, whack theology. Like, they'll go into, you have incredible potential within you to be the best you you could ever be. And it's like a big motivational speech. One day you can have a boat too. One day you can have a great house. You just got to find that answer within yourself and just be great. And, and you know what? That's all great. But the truth is, that's not the Bible. Because the Bible is, yeah, you want to be great, but you know how you be great? By being weak. So that Christ might display his glorious power in your weakness. Amen? That's the gospel. So in our church, yeah, we don't get it all right, but what we're going to say is, yeah, we want you to have power, but it's not going to be found within you. It's going to be found in you dying to yourself. Maybe the answer for you to experience true power is for you to die to your own flesh so that God might live within you and experience far more than you could ever do in your own strength. On that thought, for some of us, let me ask you, are you desperate right now? Are you in a desperate state of life? whether it's a medical emergency, 
whether it's a financial calamity, whether it's a family issue, is your family falling apart? Are your relationships in the toilet? Are you just holding on? Are you depressed out of your mind? Do you have disorders of different kinds? Are your kids like maniacs? I mean, you know, all, are you desperate in some situation? Because I guess the kind part of me wants to say, it'll all be okay soon, but I'll let you in on a little secret. I actually pray for some of you to experience real difficulty. Not because I'm a mean ogre, but because I believe that sometimes our desperation is not the worst place to be. Sometimes it's our very desperation that tells you, yo, Holmes, you can't do this on your own. Sometimes it's our desperation that says, you have been trying far too long to be capable and adequate and strong, and son, it's time to give that up. And you need to submit to the Father who's got much more power than you ever could in your strength. And for a lot of us, we're stubborn. That's not going to happen until we hit rock bottom and desperation. Because it's not the worst place to be if you're desperate, if it takes you into the dependent presence of God. Amen? So we're going to have some time to pray, because it, it'd be kind of silly. we talk all this talk about prayer, and then say, all right, guys, see you later. I mean, we're going to want to give you some time to pray. But as you think about how you respond, I think sometimes the natural response to a message like this is, man, you know, that dude, he's a little crazy, but I kind of heard a little bit. I really need to pray. My answer is, I, I really need to pray. Lord, forgive me that I don't pray enough, and, and that's okay. But I'm going to suggest your solution is not that you repent, that you don't pray enough. You need to repent because your lack of prayers reveal that you're living in your own power and not God's. The, 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 the problem is not that you don't pray enough. The problem is you think you got this stuff on your own. Where God wants to give you his power in your weakness. So can I ask us to stand together? And again, we want to give you a little bit of time to pray. And I'm asking us to stand because some of you might want to get down later to pray. So I don't want it to feel awkward if we do that. So everyone can start standing. Um, but we're going to have some people actually in the back corner um, in front of the info table uh, back there next to um, uh, Elder Matt, uh, Matt Metzger back there. And uh, some of our folks will be back there. If you're at a place today, one of the beautiful things about a church is... Yes, we're weak, and we don't have to go through it alone. Christ, his Holy Spirit intercedes for us, but we also fight for one another. We also pray for one another, and that's beauty. If you feel like you've got some stuff in your life right now that you are just trying to be carrying on your own for such a long time, I'm going to encourage you to go to that back corner because we got some people back there who want to pray with you. Um, just some, some of our leaders in church, they want to pray with you. So you don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to come up in front of everyone here and make it look like. You can just go to the back and, and go to them and just say, hey, can you pray with me? And you can share as much as you want or as little as you want, but just receive some prayer. And as we're doing that, we're going to open up our, our communion table here and come receive the Lord's Supper. And if you're a Christian, if you've hit that point, because part of being a Christian is saying you die to yourself, you realize you're weak so that Christ might live in you. If that's your story, Come up and take a piece of the, the bread here. Be reminded of the broken, shattered body of Christ. Pure weakness and blood shed and dip it in there. And be reminded of the weakness of Christ, that his power was shown in conquering sin and death. And you would identify with him. And I just want to put this out here very honestly. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you struggle with weakness and you just been trying to be strong, can I welcome you to today? Maybe this could be your first communion as someone who says, I need Jesus. 
If that's you, go back there and tell them that and pray with them. Say, I need Jesus. Can you help to pray with me? So let me pray for us, and then we'll go into some time just to give some time for the Holy Spirit to hear our prayers. Lord, thank you for the reminder today that we're to pray, yeah. But, Lord, the, the, the answer is just not to pray more. The answer is to recognize maybe why we don't pray. That, Lord, some of us are just way too dependent on ourselves. We're way too confident of ourselves. And, God, in your provision, would you humble us a little bit? Would you humble us so that we would see, I don't got all this together. I need help. And for some of us, that would mean salvation, Lord. Today, would you save some of us who have been trying to live our own life? And today, we could say, I need help not just from living life, but I need help for my soul. I need Jesus to forgive my sins, and I want to receive that. And for others of us, Lord, we've been walking in our strength. Perhaps you're teaching us to walk in our weakness and receive the full power of the Holy Spirit interceding in our groans that you see it as beautiful prayer, beautiful prayer, Lord, in the Spirit. So help us right now as we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to open this up. It's going to be a very open, free time. You can sing. You can come receive communion. You can go back there and pray. You can sit in your seats and pray. You can pray with people next to you. However the Holy Spirit's leading you, let's take some time to welcome God and his presence as he desires to speak to us here. Before we have an opportunity to, to, um, uh, to sing, just know that as we sing, that's also a form of prayer as well. So if you feel the freedom to sing, those are prayers being upper, offered up to God in the form of melody as well.
keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours, and you are Stronger in the presence of my Savior. 